to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We are glad you joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Missoni at the Food Innovation Center in Portland. Sarah, it's nice to be here with you today. We were just talking about our summer schedule. And- oh, Yes. Uh, so Sarah's going to take a little time off and go on a rad, rad road trip with her family. I will be here maybe with a co-host, maybe not. We're still figuring that surprise out. You. Maybe well, Dirk will join you. <laughs> he might. He'd he love he to. should join you. He yeah. would be a great co-host. Yeah. Maybe it's definitely the easiest or Adeline. <laughs> Adeline would be a good co-host too. Yeah, that if the episodes were about 15 minutes, that would be a great idea. But <laughs> for, for that long, I don't know if she can hang. Oh, I think people would love it anyway. Yeah, but we do have a lot of really fun summer scheduling because we're having a lot mm-hmm. of past guests back. And I was looking at it and realizing that, um, you know, some of those guests are from three years ago. Their businesses mm-hmm. have totally changed. Yes. Um. And so I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to see what people have been up to and um, update listeners on um, changes people have made since because we were recording before the pandemic, of course, and everybody's yeah. up to new cool stuff. Yeah, that's going to be really fun. Hey, Sarah, did you plant your summer garden? I did. Yeah. <clears throat> All plants growing? are in. Um, well, you know, I grow a lot of the herbs that we use in like our pasta and our spice mixes. So I have tons of... Um, bay leaves and lovage and thyme and rosemary. So lots of herbs because those are really great in my garden because I have like a hilly backyard. Yeah. So um, so I got a lot of those plants in. And then of course we always grow fun new peppers. So tons mm. of pepper plants went in, tomatillos, um, tomatoes, but I just really grow cherry tomatoes in the garden. Uh, they seem to be best. I feel like the farmers are so much better at growing like heirloom. The big ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The so I leave that ones up to just them. grow like weeds. Yeah. And, and, you know, Adeline will just go out there and eat them and we make tons of like salsa and salads and stuff all summer. Mm-hmm. So I, I've over the years just decided I'm going to leave the hard tomato growing to the experts and I'm going to grow the easy stuff. That's smart. That's <laughs> yeah. smart. We How about planted, you guys? Yeah. We spent, Sunday putting in our garden and decided no potatoes this year. You can buy potatoes at the grocery store so easy. And like you said, the growers do a better job. So no yeah. potatoes in the Missoni garden, but we have three potato uh, tomato plants and a couple of squashes. And I put a whole container of some new uh, herbs and Michael went ahead and picked all the really hot peppers. So we have okay. habanero, scorpion, <laughs> and um 
What's the other hot one that you have? We Maybe have that ghost, too. ghost peppers. Yeah, probably. ghost peppers yeah. and the Thai chilies. So yeah, nice. Hopefully, we'll have a big collection of peppers this year, and we can make hot sauce again. Yeah, that'd be fun. Or I was going to say we could um, do some pickles, some spicy pickles. Michael would probably Ooh. like those. Also, we put in four um, climbing cucumber plants. So we're going to have a lot of cucumbers. And I was thinking I'd like to do fresh pickles. Yeah, we should have a little pickle party this summer. Let's do that. <laughs> that'd be I'm fun for sure. Into it. I have so, so many empty jars. I was actually thinking, should I just get rid of those jars? And then I thought, no, maybe I'll fill them with some pickles. Well, I think we should fill them with pickles, but if you do ever want to get rid of them, they I'll have a home know. in my kitchen because <laughs> I can use them in my canning classes for sure. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I might yeah. take you up on that. Well, we want to thank our sponsor for supporting Missonian Marshall. Thank you for mm-hmm. helping us spread the word about women entrepreneurs. Let's hear a word from our sponsor, Market of Choice. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local entrepreneurs, so much so that we carry more than 7,000 locally made, raised, farmed, and harvested foods in our stores. Our passion is to help local makers, farmers, ranchers, and fisher folk realize their potential through programs that help them succeed. Thank you, Market of Choice. We are joined in the studio today by Claire. Claire's the owner of Ona Yogurt, making thick, creamy, vegan yogurt in Portland, Oregon. Welcome, Claire. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. We um, we like to connect our listeners with you. So how can they find you on uh, social media and on the online? Yeah, definitely. I'm most active on Instagram and my handle there is ona.yogurt spelled Y-O-G-U-R-T. And then I do have a Facebook page. If you search Ona Yogurt, it will come up. I am definitely more active on Instagram. And then I have a website as well, uh, www.onayogurt.com. Perfect. Well, we always kind of like to start at the um beginning of people's businesses. So when did you start Ona Yogurt? Yeah, officially I started Ona Yogurt in November of 2022. Uh, My first farmer's market though was at Beaverton Farmer's Market in March of 2023. So we're just about five months old. Um, But the history of the product actually is a little bit longer than that. I actually started making the yogurt just for myself in my home kitchen back at the start of COVID. So it was about May 2020 when I was starting to make the earliest batches. Um, So I had a couple of years just to work on it myself and refine it for my own taste before bringing, you know, new flavors and the product actually to market in Portland. And when you first started, you, I was looking at your business history, you had a different name for your business. And, um, you know, I think that sometimes this comes along for different entrepreneurs, either that they've started something and then they change it or they change it like all the way through. So I just Mm -hmm. wanted to kind of talk about your experience with that, but what made you change the name and how did that process go? Yeah. And I actually, I can talk a little bit about the earlier business too, because I think that would be helpful context. Um, I was living in Washington, D.C. I was working a normal, even longer than nine to five job, but I was making the yogurt for myself in my home kitchen. And at that point, I was playing with the idea of finding a part time job or figuring out how I might be able to make the yogurt work in D.C. So I did start an LLC there in 2020. 
And I named the company back then Alt Yogurt LLC. So a play on alternative yogurt. I like the shortness of Alt. I like the firmness of the tea at the end. And it was like my earliest and first brand for the product. Um, and yeah, I went through, you know, applying to an accelerator in Washington, D.C. I actually ended up getting into the accelerator, but they wanted me to quit my job. I'm young, so I didn't really have a lot of financial footing to fall back on to quit my job and start a food business. Um, and it was also COVID. And I was living in D.C. I grew up in Portland. I always wanted to move back to Portland. D.C. is awesome, but there's not as much of a focus on local entrepreneurs and a local food scene there. There are farmers markets, but it's just not the same as Portland. So I put that business on hold. Um, again, it was the same product. I didn't change the product at all. But when I started fresh and decided to move back to Portland to start Ona, I did want a new name because I felt like I wanted to move on sort of from that earlier experience. It definitely was a helpful process to get into the accelerator, to be selling the product to friends and family. I was always making it in my home kitchen at that point. Um, but I did just want a fresh start. I kept some things like I did still want vowels. So I used the O and the A. And I also still wanted it to be a short name, which always revolved around the fact that a yogurt jar is really small. And I do feel like the shorter names are a little bit easier to remember for a company. And I would, wouldn't have so many letters that I would need to fit on a yogurt jar. So the new name really was uh, a way for me to start fresh. And I still kept some of the elements of that earlier name, like the shortness of it and the vowels, um, you know, to pay homage to it. But yeah, it was a nice way to start fresh and feel like, you know, I could start the business in a new way here in Portland, um, a little bit more intentionally than when I was in DC. And it was much more chaotic, I would say, because I didn't really have as much of a financial plan or footing to, to actually start the business. I have a question about starting up. It looks like you worked for Smart or Start Fast Ventures, and maybe you're still involved with Start Fast Ventures and um B2B software companies and funding and all that stuff. Can you tell us how that's affected how you've started your own company? Yeah, my background is in uh, B2B software, uh, business to business software investing. So I actually got my start in more in entrepreneurship, working at a B2B software company here in Portland called Open Sesame. And at the time, I knew very little about startups and entrepreneurship, but I really enjoyed that experience. Um, and then in college, I was working on a startup in the software space. So again, my industry background is not in food as much as it is in software. And then after graduating college, I worked at a handful of uh, venture capital firms focused on investing in B2B software companies. I will admit that it was never... I never really enjoyed being on that side of the table. I did enjoy the analysis and I learned a lot of great financial skill sets that transfer well to starting a business. But I always felt like there wasn't as much, you know, true entrepreneurial spirit within those firms. And they were intentionally so a lot more focused on profit and money and the finances behind a business versus the people and the product and the process. Um, so I never, I never felt like I could fully fit in at any of those firms, but I do really appreciate the skill sets that I feel like I gained from those roles. Again, mostly working in finance and working with software companies. So their finances are a lot different than a food company, but I do feel like I have a strong foundation that's allowed me to make 
certain so positions. You, that, your background in economics, is that right? Your um, college degree? What is I your have, college degree? I studied industrial and labor relations, which oh, okay. is a social science degree program. Um, so I did take economics, but all my classes were more social sciences and focus. That's on- why you thought so much about what you named your company, because you had the whole like decision-making process well thought out. That's unusual for a lot of entrepreneurs. They don't have that background to give so much thought to the name. Um, so I really appreciated the work that you put into that. So if you could say that there's something similar on that investment sort of work to the food work, is there anything that's similar? Is it only the finance piece? I think both are very intense jobs, which I will say, I don't think that everyone out there, including myself, realizes how much work and effort and just the diversity of tasks that goes into running a food business. Mm -hmm. You know, we always see, you see a stand at a farmer's market and you see the product and the person and they tell you about it, but you don't see the ordering of the ingredients, the chopping of the ingredients, the decision between one ingredient versus another, the packaging, like there's so much that goes into it that I think um, even me on the outside, I didn't realize before starting the business. And it's a really rigorous job that, um, yeah, I don't think is always given the credit it deserves in the broader job ecosystem. And I will say, I think that having a job in finance that was also very rigorous in a different way um, helped me. Like, I, I do think I have a really strong work ethic. And part of that does come from being at companies that required that. And now in my own company, I definitely carry that with me and maybe even more so. So I will say the rigor of the work is is definitely similar, even though the type of rigor is very different. Like I'm on my feet a lot more. I'm moving things a lot more. It's a lot more physical than my past job, but both were very time intensive and um, also just mentally, you know, you do have to be sharp and on it and answering emails and all of those things if you want things to work out. So, yeah, the reason I asked you is because a lot of people who listen are trying to figure out, do I want to start a food business and what to, what knowledge do I have that I can apply from the things that I already do? And that's, yeah. I think the reasons you gave are great. Sarah, what's your next question? Well, I, you know, usually we, um, we can taste the, your product and describe mm-hmm. it to people, or that's what we used to do when we all met together in the studio. But I really want, wanted you to describe what it's like to experience your yogurt and um, describe it to our listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it is a vegan dairy-free yogurt. I do use tofu as the base, so mm-hmm. it's high in protein, and it has that Greek-style texture that you might get with Chobani or Faye. And I actually started making the product for myself because I did feel like there wasn't a strong Greek yogurt option in the dairy-free or plant-based section. I'm vegetarian. And so I ate a ton of Greek yogurt for protein. And then when I decided to try to go dairy-free, that was really the big thing that I was trying to replace. So I would envision it really as like your standard dairy-based Greek yogurt in terms of the texture. So it is smooth, thick, creamy, Um, it definitely is not dairy in the sense that you can taste cow's milk or anything like that in the product. Um, but I am very pleased that I think people are surprised how much it does taste like normal yogurt. Um, part of that does come from the yogurt cultures. When you add the same cultures to a product, um, you do get a similar 
and if not exactly the same acidity level and, and tang to the product. So it is acidic and tangy in the way that yogurt is. Um, and I have different flavors. So depending on what you're interested in, whether it's a berry flavor or a lemon curd, um, I do have a plain and simple. There's all sorts of um, you know, flavors for people to try and experience, but the base of the yogurt is definitely thick, creamy. Um, and I would say it doesn't have any sort of like pasty or syrupy or goopy texture to it, which I do find in a handful of other dairy-free products out there that are just a little gummier because they start with an alternative milk that they do have to add more gums and starches to, to be able to set it up in the same way that a dairy yogurt would set as it cultures. Yeah, those non-dairy yogurts sometimes taste like glue. Let's be honest. <laughs> We've all tasted glue when we were kids, right? <laughs> yeah. That's classic like, kindergarten fodder is glue yeah. tasting. Or there's like a, a graininess to them, mm-hmm. I find as well. Protein, um, those proteins are um, already fully like um, heated. So there's they're denatured. So there's no... Uh, available um, texture or anything like that to add to the product. So it's sort of like adding chopped up micro my um, rubber bands into your product is the best way I describe it. And so when you eat it, it's just chalky and weird. Mm. That's yeah, why. Mine is protein. not. <laughs> <laughs> I need to try yours, I think. <laughs> Well, um, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I would like you to tell us um, about which flavor you think best describes your business. So we'll be right back. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, we're back. Can you tell us about your best-selling flavor of non-dairy Greek yogurt that you have to offer people? Yeah, I think my best, well, I know my best-selling flavor right now is Oregon strawberry. Um I think there's a couple of reasons why that is the best-selling flavor. One, people are familiar with strawberry yogurt. A lot of people grew up eating it. And I think it is also a universally loved flavor. You can probably tell that at farmer's markets right now with everyone walking around with their flats of strawberries. Um, So strawberry is definitely my best-selling flavor. And I do think it is a good fit for the business as well. It's accessible. Um, I definitely try to have a very open and welcoming approach to food. I never try to shame anyone for not being fully vegan or not being X, Y, or Z with their food choices. And so um, I think that accessibility definitely shines through in the strawberry as well. It's not too off-brand or unique that people you know, don't want to try it or feel like it's not something that they could include in their regular diet. So Yeah, Oregon strawberry. So strawberry actually has been one of the top yogurt flavors since forever. In the 1980s, when I judged dairy products, they had strawberry yogurt as the Mm -hmm. yogurt flavor that we evaluated. So I think you're right on par with strawberry flavor. How much strawberry do you put in there? A lot? Um, so I do use Oregon Growers Jam right now. I haven't Mm. transitioned yet to using like fresher um quick frozen fruit yet in my product. And part of that is because I 
I do have a couple other part-time jobs and kitchen space is limited. And so being able to process fruit would just be another layer of time and processing. Um, So I use about only a tablespoon of jam actually in one jar. Um, I find that the flavor does carry though. And the product is also intentionally lower in added sugar. So I'm not trying to have a product that is super sweet, like you might get with a lot of other yogurts Mm. on the shelves. I think we in America like our sweet things. And sometimes that sweet tooth enters products that doesn't always need to be super sweet. I also eat my you know, yogurt. And I know a lot of my customers eat their yogurt with other things like granola and fruit and, um, you know, other additions that already do have sweetness in them as well. So having like everything be super sweet in the morning, I think is not everyone's cup of tea. So there's only about, yeah, a tablespoon of, uh, the jam in a five ounce jar and you're always welcome to add, you know, fresh strawberries and the things that make you happy too. Mm, Sounds yummy. And where do you do your manufacturing? You mentioned having a shared kitchen space. Yeah, I'm at um, what was formerly called New Foods Kitchen. It's now called Wildflower Commissary, and that's near the Red, or it's part of the Red like Annex building in Central East Side. So we have, I think there's maybe about six or seven tenants. People come in, you know, with varying schedules, but Yes, I'm in a shared kitchen and it's the one central east side near the red. Perfect. I I will say we have um, a lot of people on the show that are in different stages of of business, you know, mm-hmm. and so I, I really love to have new businesses on because, um, you know, of course, I remember what it's like to be a new business owner it's and tough. when... It's tough. It's so hard. And I remember um, just when we first got on the call with you, listeners didn't hear this part, but you just saying you were tired and that you are doing all Mm -hmm. these markets and you have only certain amount of of kitchen space. And I, I mean, it just brings back this time of my life where I was doing the same thing. I was, um, you know, doing about five markets a week and I didn't have uh, another job. This was, this was it. And, um, so I do like five markets a week and then my kitchen space was late at night. And so I would the night do market. Kitchen. Yeah. And so I would do night kitchen. Sarah remembers we would post about it because we would be in the kitchen a lot of times at like midnight or whatever. And I didn't have a kid then. So it was easier to do things like that. And so, um, jerk and I would stay up all night long, like making hot sauce and then, um, go to the market the next day and sell it. And I remember people just talking about like, going out to dinner or going and seeing a movie with friends. And I was in this phase where I was like, I am never going to be able to do that again. Like I, <laughs> I, I, there's no time for that. I have to eat and sleep and make hot sauce and go to markets. And that is it like forever. That, and I, well, I thought it would go on forever and um, it didn't, it didn't go on forever, but it did for the first, I would say year for sure, mm-hmm. because I, I, you know, was making things in, very small batches. I was moving stuff around from place to place and only had like a few hours in the kitchen. And it just, you know, that piece of it um, is challenging at first, but it's also just part of the journey and it won't last forever. So I just need you to hear that because I know, mm-hmm. I know what you're feeling right now. And like, it feels mm-hmm. like it, all the feels it will change. And as you, as you get better and better at making your product, um, because you have to, because you only have limited time, um, it becomes easier. And I think you'll sign up for 
different things less often where your time is more productive, but you don't know until you try it all. You have to try all of it. I think I still try things all the time where I'm like, "Mm, I won't do that again, (laughs) but I think it's just part of the journey. Yeah. And things that seem super hard now, you know, you know, 12 months or something, you'll be like, Oh, that was so hard then, but is so easy now. And this is the new hard thing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I'm already experiencing that with markets too, because I'm also at like five markets a week now that the summer started. Um, and I mean, the the beauty of, I think, food, like both the beauty and the hard thing about food businesses and especially the market scene is that they're just off days and good days. And so I'm, you know, you have to get a couple of markets at a specific location. in, I think before you can deem it as worthwhile or not. Um, But I am already, I think, at that point too, where I've learned, like I've done a couple of night markets and I'm going to be at the vegan night market at the end of the month. Everyone should come June 24th. But Mm. I've learned that my product, since it's refrigerated and it is a grocery product, it's not like a sweet or a cookie that somebody's just going to walk around and eat, you know, while they are somewhere. It's also not a product that people are going to eat when they're drinking wine or beer or a cocktail. So I have learned like the night markets are not my best, uh, you know, not the place that I put my best foot forward just because my product is a morning or an afternoon product. I mean, I know some of my customers eat it for dessert, but when you are also facing like a delicious vegan cookie, I think it is hard sometimes to choose the yogurt. So I'm already learning, I think, those things where it's like, yeah, that was a good experience to stand. Maybe you should do something special, like for the night market, you should have a limited supply of um, the vegan yogurt and wine glasses with Mm -hmm. multiple layers of fruit and some crunchy stuff and a little bit of coconut cream on top or something. Yeah, it's a good idea. I have done parfaits. um, And recently, I actually have been selling like Greek yogurt dips. So they're more of a savory play. And I do find, Mm -hmm. people, you know, they want to eat like chips and a dip with a beer or something like that at a market. And they do appreciate the savory option on my menu, too, because historically, you know, for the first couple months, it was only the yogurt flavors, your berries, lemon curd, vanilla, coconut, those sorts of flavors. So that's been helpful. Um, but yeah, I find like either skewing more intentionally around a dessert flavor for the night markets or having the savory dips definitely helps people versus having the like just standard vanilla that is more of that midday thing. So sprucing it up is definitely the way to go. Mm-hmm. Sounds tasty. You could probably make some frozen um, ice cream bars too with your product. Yeah, I haven't tried that yet, but it is a good, it's been on my mind. You could do a test at the night market with that. That would be fun to see. Just have a couple dozen and see people buy them. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. And um, do you wholesale to stores or are you focused on farmer's markets right now? I'm focused on farmer's markets right now. Um, I am in talks with people's food co-op in Mm. Southeast. So I do think I want to be in stores. I think my product is a consumer packaged good that you would see on store shelves. Um, Part of the reason that I haven't approached many stores and I'm only sort of looking at like the more independent co-op stores is in part due to production. Like I need to invest in some better equipment. And until I do that and then get that process underway, I really wouldn't even be able to make 
more yogurt beyond what I'm selling at the markets because I do, by the end of the week, I start fresh for the next um, week of markets. And I have two different like production periods within the week. One that I just wrapped today for my weekday markets. And then I'll start one on like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night for my weekend market. So I am not yet at stores, um, but the goal is to invest in the better equipment so that I can make more uh, yogurt just in a bigger batch and then be able to actually fulfill store orders. I'm just not quite there yet. I think it takes time. I think, yeah, I think, um, I, you know, in just my journey, I haven't, I I didn't really ever decide to invest in um, equipment, like, Mm -hmm. you know, bottling line or things like that, or a kettle. but I think that you find ways, um, you know, to do it that that will work for you. It just takes a little time. Yeah. And picking- if you ever want to chat with me about it, just let me know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, I'll take you up on that because I'm picking. Mm-hmm. I don't have unlimited funds. So I do think there's like either a piston filler to fill the jars that I could invest in. Um, it is a pretty viscous product, so it's not like I could use one of those hand, um, fillers with the piston in it that you do manually or just a bigger, like food processor, um, to do bigger batch sizes and then keep jarring manually. So I'll take you up on that, Sarah. Yeah. Just get in touch and I'll give you a few tips. Sweet. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned your farmer's market, so we want to make sure people can find you. So mm-hmm. let's tell everybody which farmer's markets they can find you at. Yeah, definitely. My primary farmer's market is the Beaverton Farmer's Market every Saturday from 8.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Um, so I'm there. Every- who, are, who are you located next to? That always helps people. Yeah, I'm next to the Fermentista, uh, Sarah there. And then to my left is a... I think their name, their company name is Butta, like B-U-T-T-A-H, and they sell um, like sort of vegan street food. So I am on Washington Street at the Beaverton Farmer's Market, uh, for folks that are familiar. The market manager does set aside a a street that's focused on vegan or plant-based products. So I'm next to the Fermentista, um, which naturally sauerkraut is vegan and fermented veggies are vegan. So she's great. And then we also have like Nate's Oatmeal Cookies, um, Tipping the Scales Vegan Bakery, the Thrilling Foods Bacon Company is there. So we have a whole family of plant-based and vegan foods for people that are interested on Washington Street. I think that's really good market planning because (laughs) I, um, you know, we've had Sarah on the show too. She's, she's at the PSU market from Fermentista, but um, we had a vegan cheesemaker one time that came and they were set up in our row at the, at the PSU farmer's market. And right next to me is a sausage maker, scratch meats. And on the other side of me is a lamb guy, Reister's farm. And they both like cook up samples. And the vegan cheesemaker was like, disgusted uh, by being yeah. by being in that row yeah they, they wanted to be moved immediately which i mean it's i get it, but sense, and it, right? and it takes good planning to be able to have that like whereas i as a sauce maker like i think it's great to be next to both of my meat friends because i can write recipes where they can use my sauces on their on their products and it's great but um i think that that all comes down to 
our wonderful market managers, and it is their job <laughs> to create um, a good you know, job, Beaver Town, uh, yeah, to create a market that is uh, makes everybody happy. So that is a great example. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'll plug to a couple other markets I'm at um, as well. I'm a drop-in at Woodstock in Southeast Portland, so I've been there the past couple of weekends, which mm. has been good to see my Southeast friends. I'm at People's uh, Farmers Market every other Wednesday. And then alternating Wednesdays, I do go out to Forest Grove um, for their farmer's market, which is a really fun community, a little bit further from Portland proper. Um, And then I'm also at OHSU's farmer's market on Tuesdays. And then, yeah, that that one is definitely um, active. It's a lunchtime market. So also trying to think of ways to be a little more strategic with my product there so that people feel like, you know, they can eat it for a lunch or a snack. And then I'm at South Waterfront on Thursdays as well. So we're all downtown. (laughs) That's good. Have you ever sold out? I have. Um, luckily, I haven't sold out in a week or two because I added the extra production shifts. Okay. I always do sell out of flavors. Um, sorry to those that have come and wanted this specific flavor and I'm already sold out. So mm-hmm. yes, I do generally sell out of a couple of flavors, but I have a handful. So there is always some yogurt left at this point uh, since adding the production shifts. That's good though to sell out, I think. It lets you know what the favorites are. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we always like to ask people what they need from their community right now. So mm-hmm. how can how can people support you and your business? Yeah, I would definitely say coming out and trying the product, even if you don't buy it. I find that people trying it and giving me really honest and specific feedback is super helpful. Um, I've obviously eaten my product for many years now. And so... Sometimes it is challenging for me to be more unbiased in my approach to my product. Um, And I also have specific tastes like anyone does. So the more feedback I can get from a greater number of people is definitely super helpful. And I have really appreciated the people that have said, you know, this could use more tartness or this could use in the case of the dips, like more of an umami flavor. And I do take that feedback really seriously and go back to the kitchen and try to create, you know, a better formulation for that specific product. I'd say some of my products are already at the point where they're solid and enough people enjoy them and come back for them, but it definitely isn't just a one time you get the recipe perfect. I think, especially in the case of yogurt, where you're handling sweetness and tanginess and tartness and, you know, mm-hmm. a berry flavor. And in the case of the dips, like there's maybe the sweetness of the sun-dried tomatoes, but you want enough sort of richness from the olive oil and you don't want too much salt, but you need some. And then you add yes. a Feedback is super, super helpful. And I do get a lot of positive feedback from people. Um, Portlanders are so nice. So I think sometimes they struggle to give like constructive feedback, but the people that have, you know who you are, because I definitely am super, super grateful um, to you. So come out to a market, try the product, give me honest and specific feedback, and I will, you know, work in the kitchen to refine recipes as much as I can to meet people's needs. That's great. I saw um, on your Instagram that you had a pallet of bottles delivered to your parents' house. (laughs) Um, How do your parents feel about your food business? 
Um, they are the most supportive people you will ever meet. They are definitely really, really happy that I started it. It also meant that I moved back home from the uh, East, which mm-hmm. I think they're really happy to have me back. Um, yeah, I believe both, it. Yeah, they're both superstars. I mean, my mom's helped me in the kitchen many, many times, even on the late night shifts. Um, my dad is very process oriented. So he loves to talk nice. to me about, you know, what my bottlenecks are in the manufacturing process. So they're definitely really, really supportive, like not just letting me store a pallet of glass jars in their garage, but also just, you know, being there too on the hard days where it's like, this is really exhausting. And I've also like, I'm really happy because they're not vegan or dairy free or anything like that. My mom is a big cheese eater and she'll never not. Mm, me dairy. too. <laughs> but she eats my yogurt, um, which oh, is that's good. Awesome. And I feel like she's also never really been a super big yogurt person, but mm. she eats my yogurt, which is just like delightful to have people that you love um, enjoying your product and coming back to eat it. So they are superstars and I cannot thank them enough. That's very nice. That's really wonderful. We love to hear um, when people's parents are proud of their children's businesses. Mm-hmm. I always say my mom still sells, especially my book, better than me and my hot sauce. Oh. But she's so good at it. <laughs> it's nice when parents are involved, for sure. Mm-hmm. And do you have any advice for people that are currently dreaming up a business? Yeah, I would say just testing it out is like a really great place to start. I don't think I would have been able to go as full-fledged into Ona if I hadn't had that little mini test run with Alt. And when I was starting out in Washington, D.C., when I was living there, I mean, I would just bring my yogurt to parties. I would like bring it to friend hangouts. I would bring it to work. I would just try to get as many people as possible to try the product Because it's one thing if you like the product and you think it's novel and unique and, you know, is going to change the world. But if you can get other people to give give you their feedback on the product and say, like, yeah, I would buy this. I wouldn't buy this. This is what I like. This is what I don't like, Um, especially my product. It's tofu yogurt, which if you said that to somebody and was like, hey, buy some tofu yogurt. I think that most people would probably look at you, which people do at the market (laughs) until they try it. And then are like, oh, wow, this actually is not anything that I would have expected it to be. So my advice would be just make, you know, make your product and give it to people, let them try it, get their feedback, Mm -hmm. um, give it if you have a product like mine is dairy free. I tried to get my dairy people to also eat it to get their feedback because um, you know, to be able to sell my product to more people, I also need it to be enjoyable by people that might not already be plant-based or dairy-free or vegan or however they choose to define their diet. So yeah, make your product and give it to people and get their feedback. I think that's a really good place to start. And it also gives you enthusiasm for what you're building and allows you to share it with people before signing up for that, you know, shared kitchen where you are paying rent and buying all the equipment and going to the Mm -hmm. markets. Like there's a huge level of commitment. I think once you decide to actually start the brand, make the product, go to the market. So being able to just give the product to people is a great way to start um, without having to have all that monetary investment. Yes. And there's two things that I always think are super important. One, You have to love your product and be able to eat it. And two, you should always have your product with you to give out samples. 
because you never know who you're going to run into. Right, Sarah Marshall? Yeah. I have my product with me all the time. <laughs> and sometimes it's my purse. Whoever yeah. has the biggest bag has yeah, the samples. That's true. <laughs> like, Sarah, carry this sauce for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I'm like, hey, aren't you supposed to give a sample? And then Sarah's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, fun. We always want to encourage people to go see you directly. And so where can they go buy some yogurt from you this week? Yeah, I'm going to be at OHSU's Farmer's Market tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, I'll be at People's Farmer's Market outside of People's Food Co-op from 2 to 7. And then on Thursday, I'll be at the South Waterfront Market from 2 to 7 and Beaverton Farmer's Market on Saturday, Woodstock Market on Sunday. So where you live, I'm in Southeast Portland, Southwest, and Beaverton as well. They can find you all over town. (laughs) People know where to find you. That's important. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. It was great to chat with you and hear more about your product. And um, I am just excited to see what happens with your business. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We record Masoni and Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you would like to be a guest on the show, you can send us a DM on our Instagram at Masoni and Marshall. And we will be back next week, everybody. Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye for now. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.